Welcome to Cinebabble, episode 60. I am your host, Ken, and as always, I am joined by my co-host, mad dreamer, mad scientist, Clint Jones. Clint, tell the world hello. Hello, world. I'm so mad, and I'm mad in the mind, and I'm just dreaming of all these mad things as a scientist, so watch out. It's fully there in your voice. You can really hear how mad you've gone. Yeah. It just, you can tell. I actually do have a mad idea. Do you want to hear my mad idea? Uh, sure. It's pretty mad. Okay. Okay. So, you know, like the, the trend of there's all those dating sites out there. <laughs> okay. There's yeah. so many dating apps yeah. and dating yeah. sites. And then there's like these um, sites where you can like find your relatives, long lost relatives. Okay. Yeah. This is I, starting to feel very Game of Thrones. I I have the idea. Like, I think there's a market out there where you could combine the two, Oof. and in the name will be called Incestry.com. <laughs> you just sit at home and come up with these million dollar ideas yeah, yeah. all on your own, Clint. And and I have another That's... one where it's somehow you're going to intertwine where you can find a job through um like uh, through this app too, and that's. <laughs> Section is called Inbreed. <laughs> Inbreed.com. Wow. I I I would tell you that's a great <laughs> joke. But based on our, our current uh just culture and, yeah. and how things are going, I I think there's a small percentage. I think you'd make enough money. Yeah. To make and that these viable. might exist already. I don't wow. know. That's that's so far beyond like <laughs> ChristianCountryGirl.com with <laughs> like Christian Farmer Girls, uh-huh. yeah, uh, or whatever that. I don't know. There might is. be an overlap there. I, I don't mean, know. You know, hey, uh, whichever. <laughs> so, um, I'm so I, mad. I'm I'm almost I'm almost scared to ask based on that. But Clint, what you've been watching about? Um, nothing related to those ideas. Those Thank were you. just oh, good. those little ideas that pop in my head when you know a commercial comes by okay. and I'm just word associating. No, you just you you keep bringing them here. This is this is a great place <laughs> for that. The things I'm I watched were are pretty tame and uh, nothing to uh, tie into that thought. Right, good, so good. So incest aside, we can move on. <laughs> Okay, so the first thing I watched, um, actually, I was on a kind of a kick of um, music documentaries. Maybe the Guar documentary kind of got me on that. But the first thing I watched, um, which I actually had to sign up for the uh, the site Mubi, mm-hmm. which was the first time I actually really signed up for okay. it, uh, trying to explore that a little bit. But and this was a movie exclusive, um, mm-hmm. and it's called "This Much I Know to Be True," and uh, this is directed by Andrew Dominic, who did the assassination of Jesse James. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is a concert documentary uh, about Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds, mm-hmm. and um, uh, he also did a documentary with him um, with them f- maybe like three or four years ago. Maybe it was 2016 with about another one of their albums, and it's just like a live. Um, performance of the whole cons okay. of the whole um, new record, and that's what this is too. It's kind of the follow up to that, and um, it is such an interesting take on a concert documentary because it's very performative and it's shot very beautifully mm-hmm. and it's very intentional and it's not just like you know uh, a um, stadium full of people and they're just like capturing three cameras and a live show kind yeah of it's not that it's a very intentional like 
that we're having this camera going around you with 360 during the mm. entire song and very beautifully lit and um, tied to what's happening in the song. And it has some really nice just kind of I, I haven't seen the first one that they did, but um, this one has some really nice just behind the scenes, um, like getting re- rehearsal uh, scenes and just Nick Cave kind of in. He also does like ceramic art mm-hmm. and um, it's like him going through this work that he's been doing in ceramics and like how it ties into his music and th- thematically. Um, it's really cool. And the only thing that I... I, when I'm watching a music documentary, like just the musician side of me kind of takes over at some points where I'm like analyzing how they're performing it. And like, if it's for a minute, there's no buddy playing the piano, but the piano is still going. And then I'm like, Oh, did they loop this? Or did, did they, are they doing it to a backing track? So basically you're ruining it for yourself. <laughs> yes. Right. right. I follow. Yeah. 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 Exactly. <laughs> and, uh, this does that because like, there's definitely moments where they, maybe they're doing it to a backing track because it's just mm-hmm. two of them performing. And right. then they have, um, some other like choir members in the background and stuff, but it doesn't ruin it. It's just my awful brain taking over. So I need to rewatch it with like knowing that. Mm. Um, I've, I've flirted with movie so many different times mm-hmm. uh, and it, uh, because it's such an interesting uh, movie site to me. So maybe I'll. Maybe I highly I'll recommend this and this, and this and the um, there's, they have, I think there's two other documentaries about Nick Cave, and it's a really good introduction mm-hmm. to the music if you're not familiar, and um, just the thought process behind it. I think you cool. would maybe enjoy it because um, he actually, you know, the movie The Proposition. Yes, he re- wrote that, right? And he has a lot of like biblical themes through in his through his music, and it's very, um, very a lot of kind of like Sandman, where it's a lot of things brought together Mm -hmm. like thematic things he does it really well he's an amazing just lyricist and just an interesting guy okay Um, check it out yeah i recommend it um the next one i watched this is one i've been meaning to watch for i'm just gonna tie these together and then we can switch back because they're both music docs docs um was called the montage of heck and it's about kurt cobain of um nirvana yeah this came out uh i think three years ago maybe four years ago um it's one I've been meaning to watch. I I I really respect Nirvana and like I, I like historically what they did for like the music scene and everything. But I just um, sometimes I'm not in the mood to listen to grunge music. <laughs> but it's um, <laughs> got to put that mood on. Yeah, I, I've been in the more in the more in the mood lately than uh, like a in the like past. a loose fitting plaid shirt. It just kind of has to. <laughs> Hang on your shoulder, yeah, yeah, and some frayed up around your elbows, yeah, some frayed knee jeans, yeah. <laughs> um, but this music documentary is fantastic. Okay, it's um, it's one of those where it really captures the psychology of an artist, and the there's just scenes where there's a lot of like animation mm-hmm. and um, kind of stop motion stuff that like picks up when there's no footage for scenes and they gathered so much from the family of just like him as a young kid and just behind the uh, like just living with um in, in his life and it's not strictly about the musical process it's more about his psychology okay. there's like a whole section where it's 
they're talking about how he spends his days and he's just at home because he doesn't have a job. He, he's he's decided to make his job, his career working on music. Mm-hmm. So there's just like very, is no talking heads or anything. It's just a whole animated sequence where it's him at home just going throughout his day. Like he'll pick up the guitar, work for a little while, and then he's just like bumbling around his apartment. Where can I find this? This is on HBO Max, actually. Oh, okay. Um, but it's so actually beautifully done. It reminded me of um, the uh, Devil and Daniel Johnson. Yeah. Um, wow, that was really good. I I watched that on, I think that was Netflix. Yeah, that was on Netflix for a long yeah. time. It has that feel where okay. they really capture the psychology in the process of okay. this person. And um, it very kind of uncomfortable. Like it doesn't fray, like stare away from things that are kind of, I don't want to say embarrassing, but yeah. just like darker sides of him that you weren't aware of. And it doesn't pull any punches on certain things. I was like very surprised by certain things. Um, yeah, that's the last couple of music docs uh, that you've recommended. I've just followed and like, yeah, sure, okay. <laughs> uh, and it's been working out for me. I watched Woodstock 99 and, mm-hmm. and I forget what the other one was you recommended. But The Guar uh, one? Yes. Well, I had already seen that one. There oh, was another you? one you had recommended a week before. Oh, okay. Um, so, I don't know if it was on the podcast or not. But yeah. um, no, you got you got good taste, Clint. Oh, as long as Thanks. it's not movies about bands using food sounds, dude. <laughs> oh, I did not recommend that movie to you. You watched it on your own. I know because I knew it would be recommended to me. So anyway. No, I knew better. I, I was future criming you, Clint. I was like full minority <laughs> report. I am anticipating that you're yeah, going to get ahead of this guy. Ready, and maybe I'm going to like it. And oh my goodness, what am I watching? Anyway, yeah. we're not going to revisit that. <laughs> but anyway, this um, the director who did this, um, it was Brett Morgan. He has a David Bowie documentary coming out, which okay. um, which I saw the trailer for that and it looked really interesting. I didn't realize there were he did this one, so it put the fire under my butt okay. to watch this one, and uh, I'm looking forward to that next. Cool. What have you been watching? I uh, Game of the Thrones. Oh yeah, yeah. I watched <laughs> Game that. Game of Thrones came back to yeah. uh, HBO with House of the Dragon. Yeah. And uh, the first episode got mixed reviews from people. Uh, I think uh, I just watched the second episode last night. I I love this show. Yeah. Actually, I think it's um in a weird way it's it's possibly better than Game of Thrones. Mm. Uh, it's it's a lot more localized and focused mm-hmm. uh, on one one kind of location, one set of characters. Yeah. Um, I think it's a little easier to go down. Plus, once you've watched all of Game of Thrones, you have kind of um, a shorthand where you understand certain things and you uh-huh. don't need to um, – to kind of learn about it, but it's it's uh, so far two episodes in. I'm already really enjoying it. Um, I haven't watched the second one yet. Okay, I I I think my only thing I I wish they could uh, you know maybe not show an entire botched birth. Um, <laughs> that would be. Awesome. They didn't really show much of that, though. They showed a lot. Not in, Because my yeah. wife left the room, <laughs> couldn't do it. And I told her, they're not going to show the actual, like, what's happening down south. They're just going to stick up at her face and make this emotional, oh, nope, there it goes. They're definitely but digging it, around her tum-tums. It's Game of Thrones, so. I, I don't know what I was thinking. And, uh, you know, I I tried arguing to her that it was an effective use of, of uh <laughs> Uh, but that was that was not working. But yeah. she did watch the second episode without leaving the room. So mm. um, we actually have started this Game of Thrones, both of us, on season one. So <laughs> felt pretty good about that. Yeah. 
I feel about the same about it as I did the other Game of Thrones. Okay. Yeah, which was just like slight disinterest and like yeah. I don't know why. Like I'll pro- I'll continue watching it. See, it, that may change with episode two. I feel like episode two establishes kind of, okay, here's the baddie for the season. Here's the conflict for the season. Yeah. Um, I think the first episode was more about the characters and the second yeah. episode's more about like, here's what the story's going to be. Yeah, I... I, but I felt that way the entire, like I watched all of Game of Thrones and oh, yeah. the entire time I was just like, I don't know if I like this I know. and I'm going to continue. The rest of us were excited and you were just ambivalent. There would be moments I really like and there was yeah. characters I really liked, but then there would just be large storylines that I, I'm confused and don't care about. Yeah, so. I was just, I'm happy to see Matt Smith doing something yeah. that's not Morbius. So <laughs> I think that was a highlight. Oh. Yeah, of his career. It really was. What else have you been watching? Uh, one other thing I watched was, um, well, actually two, and I'll, I'll leave this to after you're done as a, maybe a little tag to our last uh, discussion, our last um, time we recorded. But um, I watched also on movie, um, this movie called The Square. I have seen, this is on Hulu. This is on a bunch of different Yeah, yeah. Uh, I knew it was on sites. a bunch I've of things. i circled it a couple of times. Have you you've not seen this? I've not watched it. Um, it's by the director, um, uh, Ruben Ostenlund. He did that movie, Force Majeure. Mm-hmm. Um, did you ever see that one? Mm-hmm. I like this one a lot better than that movie. Um, this one kind of feels like in... To me, a mix between, oh, what's his name who did The Lobster and Dogtooth? Milos. Yes. And Majababa. And uh, Armando Anucci. Ar- Ar- yeah. yeah. like, it's some like in where in that world where there, there's an absurdist, surrealist, mm-hmm. but very grounded feel to it. And this is about a... Um, this uh, curator at this stu- this giant gallery, and uh, it's just kind of about his life and kind of the things it's that are kind of falling apart around him, and um, this gallery that kind of has very um, lofty, highfalutin standards. High highfalutin. <laughs> I don't know why that came. To- wow, <laughs> coming from me, high like just <laughs> very like highfalutin. <laughs> Absolutely. Never said that word before it's in my okay. life. It's you should use it. They just have this like where there's this, you know, the air about them is very mm-hmm. highbrow art and how they everyone carries themselves. And kind of similar in the way to um, I don't know, not to that um what was what was the movie we were just talking about about the the art the musicians who have the food. Um, I forget what it's called. <laughs> it's totally slipping my mind. Yeah. Where it's kind of playing with that, like these highbrow artists, but they're at the same time. There's a person in the middle of it who is like farting and stuff, mm-hmm. but not to that degree. I think you would like this a lot more, and I think it's uh, maybe it's clearly saying a lot more about mm-hmm. um, just society as a whole. And it's real like uh, Elizabeth Moss is in it. It's really funny at certain points and very poignant at some points, very dark and surreal at moments. Um, and actually has, there's this um, one installation at the gallery where it's the performance piece of this man who is an ape. And it's actually one of the um, motion capture artists from the Planet of the Apes ones playing this artist. So he's mm-hmm. really good. And it just goes into really dark territory with that with this performance okay. piece. Um, 
I really, I don't know. I think you should check it out. Okay. It might be worth talking about. I, I was, I really liked it. I've had it on my to watch list. It's added to my queue on that might be Hulu or something. It's one I've seen, yeah, on multiple streaming services, yeah. and it was just like the cover is that performance artist, and yeah. he looks like kind of like just like. He's almost like an MMA fighter or something, yeah. and it always just turned me off from me being interested. Yeah, that's why I've always kind of moved past it. And it's not that at all. Okay. And uh, so cover um, aside, it, uh, if you just try to watch a trailer for it, it's really fascinating. Okay. Hmm. I'll have to check it out. Yeah. So I watched uh, The Outfit. Have you seen anything about The Outfit? It's uh, it's, uh, a, it's a newer like a movie that just came out. Yeah, it's yeah. it's sort of uh, if um, the Kingsman was not ludicrous, if it mm-hmm. just kind of was a serious, straight, yeah, uh, kind of flick. That's what this would be. Mm-hmm. Um, it's pretty good. Uh, question mark. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it's it's kind of a, a murder mystery wrapped yeah. inside of a whodunit wrapped inside of another. Uh, trying to, you know, there's twists coming. Yeah. And I, I think that almost ruins it uh, because you feel like there's more happening here than uh, than than it's letting on, and that makes it more convoluted than it needs to be. It's essentially about this tailor uh, that the mob is running money through his store. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, nefarious things start to happen, and one night somebody comes in wounded, and he has to take care of them, and it, it kind of spirals out from there. But, um, uh, you know, I don't know. Even even now as I'm trying to describe it, yeah. I, I like it a little less. I don't know why. <laughs> Your face is slowly, today, like, souring towards yeah, the idea. Yeah, it was, it was well made. It's well written. It's well shot. Uh, everything about it is it, – it's very competent. yeah. Movie, it just it <laughs> twists a little in on itself too much. That sounds it has almost one like, ending too many. Uh, it know. almost sounds worse than it's like you're just saying it's bad. Yeah, it's like well, it's competent. <laughs> when I started, this was actually going to be a recommendation, but in the course of two minutes, <laughs> and I didn't even say anything. I know, I know, I know. I I I can feel it. It's the mood I'm in. I don't yeah. know what's about to happen when we talk about. The movies we watched, because uh-huh. I thought I knew what I thought, but mm-hmm. now it's, it's all up in the air. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, skipping the outfit, though, I also watched uh, Mad Dreams and Monsters, which not mm-hmm. a lot to say there. It's a documentary on Amazon about uh, Phil Tippett, and oh, okay. it's just a nice little pairing yeah. with Mad God. Oh, okay. uh, it has a lot of kind of stories, especially when they get to Star Wars. Yeah. It has a lot of stories that I've heard elsewhere, Yeah, but it has a lot of one-on-one interviews with him, oh, okay. and that's nice. Um, and he's not as, uh, as sour as, as he is in, in some of the Mad God, uh-huh. uh, documentary, uh, shorts and things like that. <laughs> he, he seems much more hopeful and not, you know, Steven Spielberg and Jurassic Park crushed my life and this is what came out of it. Maybe because he's finished Mad God <laughs> and he can so. like return to some form of I life. Think so, uh, but it's, it's even got his wife in it talking mm-hmm. about him and it's, it's just, it's, it's a nice doc. So. That's cool. I'll have to check that out. Yeah. So I hadn't heard of that. That's kind of all I've been watching. Well, I wanted to talk about we last time we had talked uh, briefly. You had watched um, the Sandman mm-hmm. series, and yes. I had watched a couple, and I had kind of expressed my thoughts on yes. it. Yes, you and have. you express you told me you should get through episode four and see how you're feeling about it because you thought four was fantastic. 
Yeah. Episode four. And maybe I was wrong on the numbering. I can't wait for this. <laughs> no, but go you, on. you were right. Oh, okay. It was the one where they go to hell. Okay. Um, and I finished the series. Oh, okay. I did. I, I forced myself. Oh, even those last episodes I knew you were going to hate. I forced myself through this series. Mm-hmm. Like, oh man, it, I, I will say I wasn't won over by three and four. Okay. There were things that really bothered, bugged me about it. But I actually really liked five and six a lot. What was five? Five and five, six was the diner. Five is the diner, Loved and the diner six episode. is where he's the, his friend who he made. He like gave him the the, uh, the uh, yeah, opportunity to be etern- eternal. Yeah, and he meets up with him once every thousand. Is it hundred years? Hundred years. Yeah. Okay. And I actually really like that episode. Okay. And then. I really dislike the rest of the season. Yeah, I knew you were going to dislike uh, the whole Rose arc. Yeah, and the, I that hated, goes super Harry Potter. I hated that. Yeah, um, and I hate that also because he just disappears after yeah. that. He's just not in the show really anymore, yeah. and it really confused me. He feels like a side character. Yeah, especially because we just build up this all this momentum of he finds his stuff, all he's yeah. gathering all his items, and then he's just like, "Cool, got him, going back, <laughs> going back to my yeah. kingdom." Yeah. Um, but there was like always elements that I really liked, but I just don't think it works as a series at all. I think it almost it would work better as a very. Um, Almost like um, quantum leap style, mm-hmm. like just very typical, like week to week episodes where he's in different scenarios. I feel like it would have worked really well like that. Yeah. But like it just kept bringing up, like it would be one thing for three episodes. Then like there's these two random side story episodes that actually worked really well for me and then it's a whole new thing but it, it's just not tying together perfectly for me and, and uh, i think that's because they're going through and they're adapting because the sandman comics came out issue form yeah which lends itself to a little more hopping around with story but then it would also be like side series and this little mm-hmm. three issue side run that wasn't a part of the main uh, you know, main run of Sandman comics and things like that. And yeah. I, I think they were trying to cram a lot of that in too. Now, did you see the bonus 11th episode I, they I just released? I didn't even watch that yet. That's actually, I, I think that one's really good. The It's divided into two short stories. Mm-hmm. The first half is an animated one um, mm-hmm. about cats, actually. Uh, but it, I, I think it works. And then the second one is much more of a just kind of short story uh, it's about a writer who has a muse, like mm-hmm. a literal Greek muse, uh-huh. imprisoned um, and won't free her because yeah. she's essentially making him famous. Yeah. And uh, she just happens to have a, a connection to Morpheus. And mm-hmm. so those two I, I thought worked really well together and presented that way where it was two halves in one episode. Yeah. It lent itself more to the, okay, these are little short tales. Mm-hmm. Um, I think my problem after the diner episode and John D sort of being wrapped up mm-hmm. and he got all his stuff back, then all of a sudden it's this very fanciful, way too much time was devoted. I think it was four episodes yeah. to the the Vortex. Mm-hmm. And it just, it felt like a completely different show. I know. It even felt like a completely different character. Exactly. Like um, if that was a season unto itself – 
And like maybe it was spread throughout the entire season with the little like side story things throughout. Like I think that may have worked better. Um, And also just the the tone of the whole thing was kind of sporadic in that like the whole serial killer convention thing. Mm -hmm. Like that belonged in like Preacher, the Preacher series where I feel like that show could pull that stuff off a lot better because there's – I don't know, a lot more, uh, I don't want to say humor, but there's this whimsy to that show a lot yeah. more than this one. And this one's so kind of dour in, in, in like his performance. Like, even though like I think he does a good job at most of it as that character of uh, Morpheus, but I don't know. Yeah. 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 Is it Morbius or Morpheus? Morpheus. Morpheus, okay. Yeah. Morbius yeah. is... Yeah, I know. <laughs> I, I was second-guessing second myself. No, after. no debating whether that <laughs> one's... Yeah. No, I I agree with you. I, I think it's one of those things. It was just... I, I could feel the whole time it was hit or miss, but I think it was easier for me just to let the, the misses go. Yeah. Because I was enjoying those moments that it would hit. Uh, but eh. like I really like that diner episode. Oh, that diner episode's so good. And I and that was another thing where that character like it's building up towards him, and then he's just gone. Yeah. And 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 that was one of the more fast. Like I didn't really care about his character up until that. Yeah. Episode. Yeah. But oh well. Yeah. I got. Through. Oh yeah. When it's just him and his mom in the psych ward. Yeah. I that part was just so redundant to me. It just was treading over the same. Yeah. Material every time it would return to one of those scenes. Yeah. Okay. I just wanted to follow up and let you know that I powered through. Well, there's another series that I think you and I both also powered through. You powered through Better Call Saul. (laughs) Just kidding. Okay. (laughs) Oh man, this discussion is going to go very, very different than I thought. Uh, Better Call Saul came to uh, its, I would almost say, dramatic conclusion, but it was so. Restrained mm-hmm. that I don't know if dramatic conclusion is is the right description for it. But Better Call Saul came to an end, and uh, this is this is kind of you know closing out the the Breaking Bad universe, mm-hmm. so to speak, at least for the time being. Um, what do you think of of the last couple of episodes and especially the finale of Better Call Saul? I thought it was perfectly fitting. Yeah, like I honestly love the last. Um, I, I, I've enjoyed all of the series. Yeah. Uh, I haven't, hasn't wavered for me at all. Like mm-hmm. I, I've really enjoyed it, but these last four episodes where it goes into like super Coen brothers territory yes. and it's just super low key. I, I love them. Awesome. I, like I, man, so it I, didn't bother you that it didn't ramp up and get huge. No, I, just, I think it was perfectly fitting good. for the characters yeah. and where they were and who that relationship and how. Yeah. I, I wouldn't have wanted anything else than that. Yeah. It was perfect. Yeah. I was I was really shocked because everybody was talking about, oh, the the Walter cameo and the Walter White cameo and the Walter White cameo. And that's yeah. it was fine. I yeah. liked how it functioned. I liked that all the cameos functioned for the Saul characters. Yeah. It wasn't yeah. just to bring back characters. No, no. But when they bring back um, what's her name? Hank's wife. Mm-hmm. That was so it it punched everything up in a way that was not loud or big or but it really brought to the forefront is this a good guy is this a right. reformed or redeemed human yeah. being has he learned anything yeah and that's that's what the the walter scene kind of comes in and says like no oh you've just always been this way 
Yeah, and it, it puts into perspective that this man is a criminal, yeah. and the, and reminds you the things he was a part of yeah. very clearly just by showing, like having reminding you of her and of um of his death. And uh, I thought it was used so well, and that whole sequence was. I mean, it it would wait, go back and forth between. Um, her being there and like just the the hilarity of him, like him about to weasel himself out oh, of this yeah. again, he completely like as usual, showing, found a way. Yeah, found a way and actually show, reminding you too that he is a skilled lawyer. Yeah, um, he's a crooked lawyer, <laughs> but he knows the law well enough to manipulate it to his for his uh, own purposes. Yeah, um, and I I think they did such a good job of bringing back. Kim's storyline when she's been kind of out of it uh, for the most part of these last, whatever, four or five episodes in such a poignant and interesting way, like tying up the loose ends of their relationship and very sweet. It's very sweet. And I I don't know. I I loved it. I really did. Yeah. I I really appreciated that. I mean, several episodes before the end, they walked away from the the Gus and Mike Mm -hmm. storyline. And I loved seeing that stuff. But I like that for the last stretch of episodes, they moved away from that because that's not their show. They were there to, you know, kind of build on the Saul story. And their story continues in Breaking Bad. Yep. You, that's the the fork in the road moment yep. there. Yep. And you see them, that storyline goes off, and now we're going to pick up um, with where all of the seasons or episodes starting where he's working a Cinnabon, yeah. we're going to bring and tie that back in in a very um, uh, thoughtful way that has stakes. And that's where I, I feel like um, Peter Gold and, and Vince Gilligan really understood you don't need to overplay your hand. There's, mm-hmm. there's a, a natural arc that's already been established, mm-hmm. and the very nature of this being a prequel has to stop at some point, and I'm glad that it didn't stop at the end. I'm glad it wasn't like the last episode leads right up to Breaking Bad and also then what happens right after Breaking Bad. Right. It really gave you time to sit in where Saul's at after Breaking Bad and mm-hmm. what that looks like and how that feels. And um, and I, I really like that it – I love the, um, the Michael McKean, the return of the brother, yeah. Chuck. Uh, that scene. And just the the whole episode was really about, is this Jimmy or is this Saul? Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, yeah, that's been the question this whole time. Yeah, it's yeah. really been this struggle about these two personas mm-hmm. and him having a choice as to which persona he wants to to be. Right. Um, you know, I, they're, they're both kind of characters in reality. You never really get a sense of who he actually is. Right. Um, and I loved how they used that. Um, I, I think it was the last episode, but with the Walt stuff and yeah. everything, the flashbacks, they used that really um, strategically to for that, like the question that he's at, like, and he asks them about um, the time travel, the, thing. the time travel yeah. thing, and I, and his response of like, uh, he just wants money, and yeah. and there's like, and they're looking at him, even though they're like, kind of. Um, on the other side of morality too, yeah. in their own way, um, looking at him like he's kind of a broken man. Yeah. And and I love how that comes back at the end. And yeah. he they use that to as kind of this period on like him making the decision to he's going to be 
Jimmy. And then even in subtle ways, that was interesting from Walt, where it's you've always been this way. Yeah. Uh, That was an interesting just little addition to Walt's character where he recognizes, like, I haven't always been this way. Right, right. Circumstances made me this way. But you, you, this is just who you are. And he he almost says it with disgust, which coming from a drug kingpin who's had people murdered and that's... You know, that's but also if you think about where that scene is yeah. in Walt's like journey, yeah. he hasn't realized yet that he's always been that way. Yeah. He's making the excuse that, that he's doing this for his exactly. family and everything. But by the end of Breaking Bad, you realize, no, he's just woken up what was always there. Yeah. Um, and yeah, at that point in his life or in that whole story arc, he hasn't realized that yet. And that's I, I know some people uh because it's it's a very explosive kind of beginning to this half of the season. And I know there were some people who were kind of disappointed that it suddenly went quiet and restrained. And uh, like, why do I care about Carol Burnett as the mom of, I, I just, I loved all of that stuff. Me too. It was very Cone Brothers. It was very um, low key. And, and it just, it felt like it went back to the early part of the show. Because I remember when, when Better Call Saul first started, even you and I were surprised that it didn't have that Breaking Bad momentum to it, that mm-hmm. it was taking its time. And I appreciated that it sort of went back and said, you know, this is this is what the show is. Because there for a while, but, you know, neither good nor bad, it just it got very, this feels like another season of Breaking Bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I appreciated that kind of return to form. Well, I, I feel like they're just so, such experts at, writing in not a traditional like three-act structure way where we have to get to these certain points at certain times that it feels more naturalistic to maybe real life and how a, a like a story would unfold and yeah. it, and it also like the big moments in that are are also like I said like a, this fork in the road that this is going towards Jimmy's story with like the Breaking Bad storyline. Yeah. And that doesn't mean it's naturally going to continue when he's he's trying to stay low-key at yeah. that point in his life after the fact of everything that happened in, in Breaking Bad. So why would it like I love that he's just in his subtle way, like falling into his old way of life of the the tricks and yeah. like the um slipping Jimmy. And he's teaching the people how to like con and like steal and like, yeah. and he's getting the itch for it again. Yeah. And I love how that unfolds in it and it's un- his undoing. Yeah. Uh, it's cool. I, I wouldn't have wanted it to be this big dramatic, uh, I don't know, just explosion of activity. Yeah. I, I liked it a lot. Yeah. Okay. I, I was, yeah, I was a huge fan of it. I, I feel like it ended in a way that was completely different from Breaking Bad, but yet as a series is is arguably as good as uh, Breaking Bad. I think Breaking Bad is more rewatchable. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's as a just, whole, it's though. Such a, yeah, it's, it's such a good kind of sister series yeah. uh, to Breaking Bad. I think this is more easy to watch. Mm-hmm. Because it's not as <laughs> like live or die every episode. Yeah. This is more relaxed and funny, and there's a little bit more lightness to it. I yeah. mean, it's definitely got heavy stuff in it, but but it's not every. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, also like the the uh, the Jesse movie, the what was mm-hmm. that called? El Camino. El Camino. That's different too yeah. in its own way. Yeah. Um, and I I don't know, but it also fits in the world. It's cool. Yeah. 
no, I I really enjoyed it. So I'm awesome. Very very happy. I was I was nervous because I had so loved the series. Mm-hmm. I always get nervous when a series comes towards its end, just because I've seen so many shows that either nail it or just like ugh. What Vince were you Gilligan. Thinking? I don't know. I just feel like he's tapped into the same thing that my brain wants to see yeah. or something. Like so, there's just like a little bit of like hope and trust in. That he'll do the right thing with it. It's interesting because there's something about the way that they construct things that even if things happen that you don't want, you're still happy with it as yeah. a show fan. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's and, and maybe it's the nature of the show of, of never giving you exactly what you want. So you mm-hmm. never get in that mode that that you're more laid back and just accepting of whatever happens. But I, some shows, it it feels like fan expectation builds to the point where there's nothing that the finale can give you that's going to satisfy anyone. This they do this a really never good, does that. Yeah, it they, didn't do it with Breaking they Bad. They do either. a really good job of not showing you all their hand. Yeah, like they they really are really good at just giving you enough to get you through to the next moment or like storyline or something, but mm-hmm. they never show you what's totally coming. Yeah. And I'm always impressed by that. Yeah. No, I totally agree with that. I'm looking forward to seeing what he does next. Yeah. yeah. Uh, especially with a new, whole new thing. Yes. That, that could be really cool. Yeah. I, in Gilligan We Trust. In Gilligan We Trust. Totally there. Uh, today we are reviewing um, three... Um, uh, this is a very strange pairing. I know it was. We didn't really put a lot of thought. No, into we this. didn't. Yeah. Uh, we are reviewing Orphan: First Kill, which is a sequel to Orphan, uh, <laughs> or is a prequel, or I don't know what's happening. Uh, then the Black Phone, and then our Cinetron pick, The Death of Stalin. But let's start with Orphan: First Kill. Uh, this is from director William Brent Bell, and it uh, it follows up Orphan, which is about. Uh, <laughs> Uh, the twist of the first movie, spoiler, is this couple adopts this little girl, and this little girl turns out to be this murderous dwarf adult, mm-hmm. and they have to deal with it. This is this is kind of, um, <laughs> man, can I just say what I thought right off the top? I want, yeah, because I want to know if it's the same thought I had. I think it's the same thought, okay. because this was the... Terrible horror movie version of Clifford. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) From almost five minutes into this, and I appreciate it. It took me longer to gather what you were thinking. Yeah. Just because my brain started going other, but then I clicked into it once they, you continue. All I could watch, all I (laughs) could notice as this movie went on was this now adult actress, because in the first movie, she's genuinely young. And so they don't have to do any sort of trickery mm-hmm. to make her look like a little girl. But now it's it's been 15 years. She is a full adult. Has it been that long? It has. It was 2009, so it's almost 15 years. Oh, my gosh. I didn't um, realize it was that long ago. Yes. She she is now a full adult. Mm-hmm. And so I, I totally appreciate that they committed to we're going to do this practically. We're not going to do any CG trickery. We're not going to do any sort of, you know, deep fake or anything like that. We're just going to use perspective and make, uh, you know, this, this adult actress look like she's child-sized. 
God help me, it did not work. Because <laughs> Especially, the whole time, all I kept thinking of was Clifford. I know there was Martin some... Martin Short just sitting on his knees. There was some really, like, on-the-nose Clifford's, like, yeah. moments. <laughs> like, there were moments where, like, they're walking, and you could tell it's like a little kid at that yep. point. Or, like, she's looking up, and, like, like when she first gets with the yeah. family, and they're talking to each other, and it's just... And I was laughing yeah. at those moments. I it was it was unintentionally funny. <laughs> we both have a love of Clifford, you oh, especially. Yeah. And so once that clicked in my brain, I couldn't unsee it. <laughs> no, no. And I I don't think there's much movie here to ruin. Mm-hmm. Um, but but anyway, that that was my first and yeah. biggest distraction. Uh Clint, what did you think as you watched this uh thing unfold? <laughs> Well, I've never seen the original. Um, I was somebody I, – I didn't care at all. Some Probably you told me the, the plot twist yeah, of that movie. Yeah. Well, you and, even asked me, do I need to watch the original? I'm like, no. Okay. There's a plot twist. You know, little girl. Oh, yeah. surprise. Well, I knew that already. Yeah. But I wasn't sure if there – maybe this was going into the deeper lore of that movie and then I was going to spoil something where I didn't understand it. Yeah. Um, and you were – confirm that I that there's no such thing. You can just watch this thing. Um I I did not like this movie, Ken. <laughs> I did not. I did not like the sound Ken. of Dr. Seuss. I did not like it. <laughs> I really in a can. I did not like it in a pan. Or in a van. <laughs> um I didn't. I didn't care for this movie. Yeah, I yeah. think that probably it just re- like really uh, confirmed for me that like the original probably really hinges on the twist. Yeah. That it's not really that great. It's just there's a very big t- ridiculous twist in the movie. There's a lot of people that love that movie, but yeah. I've I've watched it I think two or three times now because I watched it the first time. I was like meh, and then people loved it. So I went and watched again. I was like, well, maybe once you know the twist, there's more to uncover. No, it just I really think people were shocked at the twist. Yeah. And, um, you know, okay, that's that's fine, but. It just it's it's a very early two thousands era mm-hmm. horror movie, and this feels very early two thousands era horror. It's just yeah. really dated. Well, the for me, and I think maybe it's because I did not see the original, and then this was relying on the people probably watching this did. So the pacing for this was really strange mm-hmm. for me, especially early on where the um, woman is going to work as the art therapist. And it just drops you in like, okay, here it is. She's this old woman. She's 30 years old. She's a killer. Don't trust her. And then like within five minutes, she's out of the place and she's conning her way into this family's um, home. And so it just moves so quickly. And also this movie looks really weird. It really does. It looks like there's like gauze on the camera lens the entire time or a Vaseline and I'm not quite sure or why it looks like this and it was really abstracting to me it, it so from the start yeah. I, I was like wait a minute um so this this art therapist comes out of the building mm-hmm. she's just murdered everybody in and she turns on the windshield wipers in a snowstorm and she sees the little girl in front of the car yeah which I'm thinking, oh, she's about to get in the car and kill this woman. No, she just walks around the car. Okay, fast forward to this woman <laughs> going to her an apartment, and apparently the girl hid in her trunk. Well, now, if can... I'm sitting in my car. Also, yes, there's a murderous <laughs> little, apparent little girl. Yes, yes. And she 
just walks around the car, and then this woman gets out and goes in and tells them. Yes. Not like you're going to get out of the car and just like potentially yeah. set yeah. yourself up for murder. <laughs> I, number one, okay? Yeah. If I left my car unlocked, I check that car when I return to that car, it was just yeah. such a lock stupid the, lock the car before you go in events. and tell if you yeah. believe that you can get in there without getting murdered. Yeah. And and the movie was full of this yeah. kind of stuff. Uh, and then it, you know the whole first movie is built on a twist. Well, we this can't has, twist that the girl yeah. is a little girl anymore. Uh, or they could have just twisted back. I guess <laughs> no, she actually is She's a little girl. Yeah, that would be amazing. But they come up with with an uh, even more ludicrous twist. It's that's just based a- on I forget what documentary it was. I don't I don't even want to come up with it if I can think of it. But there's there's a little bit of like from the headlines. Well, I think it was called maybe the imposter. Yes. Yeah, because yeah. I saw that documentary and thought it was really fascinating. Yeah. And this is it de- was. And I also thought that this was going. You were when I was trying to think of the movies that you were thinking mm-hmm. of. At first, I was like, oh, "Are they going to do like a weird malignant thing at the beginning of this?" Because it starts <laughs> off in yeah. this like um psych psych ward. I love that you put so much thought into it. And I was just literally like, actor on knees, yeah, actor yeah. on knees. I clicked into that pretty fast, but also, but first off, I was I was giving it more credit than yeah, deserved. Yeah. And then I was like, oh, it's gonna do um oh, uh, what was the one with the woman who had the implant in, or the metal plate in her head? The about the she oh uh, titane. Titane. I thought it was gonna do like it was oh, this is ripping off titane, but yeah. it's it's really just ripping off that imposter movie. Yeah. And then where it goes with the family, like do you want to spoil it? Not really. Okay. It's I, it's boring and not interesting. It's not even worth talking no. about, other than the fact that they knew their first movie was based on a twist. Yeah. How do you do it again? Oh, you come up with a with another twist. But how can you outdo that? It's an old woman. You can't. Yeah, it's you, this is so like pedestrian and boring. Yeah. A- after like that, yeah. like where that's just ridiculous. This is, I don't know. You, yeah. it's just like okay. And there's just there's already stupid little things, which I guess make more sense once you know the twist. But if you adopt a little kid and they're constantly wearing a ribbon around their neck, <laughs> come on, yeah, you don't. Like, eventually that ribbon has to come off. Like, you have to see what's under the ribbon. You're, it just, it's stuff like that. Like, come on. Uh, and they and did that in the first movie. I remember that stuff yeah. driving me nuts in the first movie. And just, uh, no, no. And there was just so many moments of them, like, commenting on, like, oh, you've grown so much in these past four years. You're a little woman now. And like they, they're they bringing to attention her Russian accent, yes. full-on Russian accent. And it's like, yes, I know that was kind of the whole the thing about imposter too. And that it just makes that whole thing so more much more fascinating. And this, it just feels more ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. Now, did you recognize the actress, yeah. Isabel Furman, from, from The uh, Novice? The Novice, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, that was, she's, she's so much better than this. She's great. She's great. So much better than this movie. Uh, and so the original orphan, awesome. I guess he did a good job as a little girl. Mm -hmm. Uh, but, but you're past this. Yeah. I'm sure this was a great paycheck (laughs) compared to the novice, but, uh, yeah. Anything else to say about this? No. Abomination. No, I, (laughs) it just made me wish it was Clifford and like, Somehow they made it funnier. So it was a dark, really like Clifford's dark. 
Clifford's scarier. Clifford is than scarier. This little girl. I get yeah. that this little girl kills people, but you know, Clifford's, yeah. Clifford's it wasn't scary kid. at all. No. It really no. wasn't scary. No. Oh well. Yeah. Uh, that brings us to the Black Phone, and the Black Phone is from Scott Derrickson, who kind of famously recently uh, let go of Doctor Strange Two. That's how it went to Sam Raimi. Mm-hmm. Um, the Black Phone is a 2021 American coming of age supernatural horror film says the official description, uh, that's directed and written by Derrickson. And it's about uh, a boy that's kidnapped by a... um, The grabber. uh, He's not. He's the grabber. Yes. He just kidnaps and kills children. Yeah. And in the course of uh, being locked in this uh, serial killer's basement, uh, a disconnected phone on the wall starts to ring, and he starts getting mysterious calls from beyond the grave. Clint... What did you think of the black phone? Can I do an audible shoulder shrug? Oh, really? <laughs> is it possible to capture that sure, audio? Just a meh. meh, meh. I was so meh on this movie. Really? Okay. Um, there was elements of it I I was pretty okay with, mm-hmm. but at the same time, my whole thought like. I just kept thinking, like, and I know this is by Stephen King's son, the original Joe story. Hill. Joe yeah. Hill. It just felt like Stephen King light to me. Yeah. And especially after, like, this past season of Stranger Things and the first part of it, I just was confused as why doing this right now when it so resembles, like, yeah. it – or the strange, or like one of those classic Stephen King stories, and I just feel like it didn't bring much new to that whole uh, subgenre of horror. Yeah. Um, so I was just kind of bored by it, and like there was just moments where I was just kind of like angry and confused by it. So what did you think? This this goes in kind of a category of movies that. Uh, I, I don't even know how to describe it. It's about kids who go through unnaturally abusive situations. <laughs> yeah. Um, almost almost as if uh, those plot points are required somehow for the drama, but they never feel organic. Especially with a dad. To the drama. This really goes, and, and I, in no way do I have any doubt that there are situations like this. Yeah. But you've got this this boy, he's got this horrendously abusive father he has these ridiculously violent bullies mm-hmm. um y- you know exacting violence on him and then he gets taken by this this grabber serial killer and it just it's it's one thing on top of the other there's no contrast to it who the grabber is almost the nicest person in the movie yes yeah <laughs> uh and and you're told that he's actually really, really bad yeah. by these, you know, kind of supernatural ghosts. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he's he's kind of nicer to the kid than anybody else uh, prior to that. And it's just it's such a strange, as opposed to here's a kid who has a normal life and normal friends, and life is just kind of, you know, and then this very dramatic thing happens to mm-hmm. him. That would be much more effective in my mind than just dark, heaped on top of dark, heaped yep. on top of dark. Yep. And I know you said Stephen King light, but I think that's why it feels Stephen King light because Stephen King really plays with 
normal versus abnormal yeah, and ordinary versus things. extraordinary. Yeah. And that's what gives them their power. Yeah. And this just feels like, my goodness, how much. And then by the end, you're supposed to be happy that this kid is reunited with his abusive I, father. I know. And it's played as this. Especially when it doesn't give it to give that character, the father, this like time to have this arc of realizing. Yeah. Like there's little moments where they're trying to give him like where he's realizing the error of his ways, but not enough to justify where it ends up. And there's that scene where he's I mean, just berating and beating the the boy's sister. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no redeeming that character no, from that. No, exactly. That's None. why, like, maybe over, a, like, a 10-part series, you could somehow get them there. But uh, even the, that would be heavy lifting after oh, that yeah. scene. I know. That's why I mean, like, um, that. W- that's it doesn't work at all. No, no. And I, that's what my thought, too, is, like, why did he have to be this abusive? Like, if he had been, because the moments where he's, like, where the, the son is missing and he's, like, talking to the daughter because they're worried about him mm-hmm. and they're they're having kind of a heart-to-heart moment. It's kind of sweet. Why didn't you just make him this sweet character, especially that actor like, from Lost? He's great. He's yeah. this great actor yeah. who can play this weird, um, like, like, sweetness. Have him still scared of, you know, what her powers are because yeah. of her mother. And you could still play with those exact same, like, don't do this. Yeah. Um, without making him this other monster. Right. Like that, like having him be this monster, like doesn't give you any like reason to root for this kid to get back to him. Um, Maybe to the, his sister, but like, it just didn't work for me in that way. The original short story. And I, I read it once upon a time. I could swear it doesn't have the, the girl at all. Oh, really? It's just about the boy in the room with the phone. Mm-hmm. And the serial killer. Does he have supernatural ability? Like, uh, like he's touch in touch with the supernatural world. Well, yes, the yeah. the supernatural world's in touch with him. It's not clear that he has any sort of abilities. It's just yeah. more, you know, that one almost feels more naturally Stephen King, where it's sort of the extraordinary pressing in. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Where for whatever reason these ghosts uh, have have amassed and are so angry at what's happened to them that now they're breaking through and helping this kid. I honestly um, didn't mind the that she had it too, that it's kind of this and the mother had it, but even though it gets a little too shining-ish yep. in, in that. But it, it gave it more uh, like um, reason for him to be able to be in touch with this and they're they're contacting him through this phone. So that, that setup kind of worked for me. Um, but I don't know. I, I, for me, it was competing because you've got this arc of this girl trying to save him through her supernatural powers, but something supernatural is already working to save him. And by the end, yeah, it, it's sort of like neither one needed the other one. It's it's one right. too many supernatural yeah. pieces that didn't quite come together at the end. Yeah, it's not like she did something vital. Uh, you know, it's it's spoilers. She just kind of ends up at the same place. Yeah, spoiler here, but it's it's it, she ends up at the same place across the street, and he comes out of the house. If the killer was still alive and the cops being there were able to kill him, yeah, then okay, she contributed something, but he killed the guy, and so without her entire storyline, he would have stumbled out of the house and found somebody, and they would have gotten him home. Yeah. Same exact ending. And so that that sort of I, I was with them and I followed, I thought what they were doing clear up until 
you know, the grabber is is actually dead. Yeah. Well, yeah. And then what's it yeah. matter that she found where it is? Now the police just know they have a little psychic girl. Yeah, and now cool. she's just there to be with her brother at that moment yeah. and, yeah. like, reunite the family. Yeah. But, like, yeah, I do agree that it would have been more impactful if her leading the cops there had a direct, like, role in getting him free. Yeah. One of the things that was driving me crazy with this movie was these ghosts are appearing to him and like contacting him through this phone and he's, and they're giving him advice on how to get out of this room. So one's like, okay, I was trying to get out through the window. You Mm -hmm. can do this, find the rope. And they would keep doing this and the kid would give up on the thing if it didn't work immediately. Yeah. If you're in that scenario, you're going to be like fighting for yeah. dear life trying to get that thing to work. Yeah. The whole time you you have and it just kept giving him these new and it, it amounts to the end like the whole payoff at the end with the death of this man yeah. of the grabber. But it was so frustrating to me throughout the entire thing that like you, okay, you have the opportunity. Yeah. There's one way. Okay, that one didn't work. Clear, like clearly doesn't work. Okay, let's go back to that one where you just open the window and you can get out. Cool. Yeah. Let's do yeah. that. And so I was just like, there's little things throughout that were just annoying me. I I also, the two main kids, the brother and sister, are really mm-hmm. good actors. Yeah. No other kid in this movie no. is a great actor. No. It's and, and it's probably the way they're directed, <laughs> but they have that... And actually, Stephen King gets kind of irritating with this sometimes. Yeah. Bullies are very... Oh, right. There's no light and... Very on yeah. the nose and mm-hmm. very heavy. And maybe that was just his experience growing up in the 50s. But yeah. my goodness. There's no they're nuance. They're just so yeah. heavy. Um, and so so all of the kids outside of the two mm-hmm. main kids just feel very one-dimensional, one-note. And that was kind of driving me nuts, especially after something like It Chapter One and and Stranger Things. And there was some like the dream logic stuff too, where her going to the dreams, mm-hmm. like and like picking up the pe- like putting together the pieces and stuff that just for me didn't really like work and didn't. I don't know, like they would break it sometimes, like the whole sequence where the um, the bully guy is fighting the people in the convenience store, yeah. and it's a completely different style. And I knew they were trying to do, they were doing like the 16 millimeter film thing to represent her dreams. But then that one is like, it's not in that. And then it flashes to, okay, it is a dream. Mm-hmm. So it's just like you're breaking the rules that you're setting up for yourself. Yeah. Just and to play with the audience. Just to play with the audience and just to like show this sequence yeah. of him beating up all these people when it probably has no bearing on the dream or what she's trying to put together to find her brother. And, you know, one other thing, spoiler, uh-huh. if I walk into a relative's basement Oh my gosh. And there is yeah. a kidnapped little kid down there. There's another Ugh. I am not going to stand there and <laughs> recite for 2 minutes. I knew it and blah 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 blah. Like oh come my. on dude. You are going to turn right around. You're going to go back up those steps. You're going to make sure everything's safe. You're going to tell the kid to come up after you. That was the most illogical and stupid scene. That whole I was another thing that character Ugh. That annoyed me so much that it's this, the brother is trying to like solve this case. Oh, and it's, we're in the same house together, living in the kids down below. That's, that was so frustrating to me. And I, I, 
I don't know. And he was supposed to be kind of this comical character. He's bumbling and like this, this coke head. And it's just like, yeah, you're not going to pick up. You're not going to notice that like your brother's really weird about this basement door. Like don't go down there. It's all. And he has a padlock on the front yeah. door. Like, and it helped more when you realize later, oh, it's two houses. But still, if you're able to go over there and you know about it, yeah. it was just – or no, no, you're right. Yeah. That was – because the one house was completely empty that right. they went into. All right. Never mind. That was just where he buried the kids. Yeah, that was even stupider. That's not how soundproofing works <laughs> at all. No, no. Uh, I don't care how much you soundproof. Like a kid screaming in the basement, mm-hmm. there's no version of a house where you're not going to hear that upstairs. Right. It'll be, you'll hear something muffled. Something. Yeah. So anyway, um, I actually came into this more of a shoulder shrug. And I feel like you started a shoulder shrug. <laughs> but based on our conversation, <laughs> this doesn't sound much like a shoulder shrug. No. I mean, I, afterwards, I felt very shoulder shruggy. I was yeah. like, yeah, it was whatever. Yeah, I think we've talked think ourselves just, into this. I see, it took yeah. each other to discover this wasn't a good movie. I think it made me, like, realizing that you didn't like it either, like, made me, like, open up to, yeah, those things were stupid, too. Yeah, I'm I'm always in pursuit of a movie that just gives me that Stephen King vibe, like, really acutely. Yeah. And if it's just slightly to the left or right. I know it's, it's almost like Uncanny Valley where it just doesn't because work. Stephen King kind of is there. Yeah. Where like yeah. he's always towing that line between it being too ridiculous yeah. and you believing it. And there's just something enough in his writing and like how he yeah. um develops character and like speaks in their voice that keeps it realistic in you on board. Yeah. And uh and this just did not like walk that thin line yeah. enough for me. Well, I think he's really good at just describing enough. Yeah. And that's not something you can ever do in a visual medium. You can't just sort of hint at and let the imagination fill in the rest. It's right there on the screen. And so I think that creates a, a, a challenge. Something also that drives me crazy is when a like a serial killer or this grabber character, their mask is too intricate and there's too many layers to the thing. Yeah. Is like then I just start pondering like where did he get this mask? Is he making this thing? Like what what is the thought process behind this? This they and especially ordered. This is like 1980 something. Exactly. This, yeah. Like it's not like playing into the time of what. Like that's why like the mask in um. Like just like Halloween works so well because it just looks like a kid's Halloween mask yeah. turned inside out. Like he just found this thing and put it on yeah. real quick. And uh, when it's too like intricate and involved, it just like starts getting my head going down yeah. the wrong path. Yeah. All right. So so far we're not liking much, which <laughs> brings us to uh, 2017 political satire and black comedy. The Death of Stalin uh, by Armando Iannucci. Can you can you figure out the theme to this one? Because I sure can't. <laughs> this episode. Yeah. <laughs> this this has Steve Buscemi and Jason Isaac and a whole bunch of people. Um, and it's the plot is basically uh, Moscow, 1953. After being in power for nearly 30 years, Soviet dictator Joseph Stalin takes ill and quickly dies. Now the members of the Council of Ministers scramble for power and to determine the future of the motherland. Clint, what did you think of The Death of Stalin? I really enjoyed this movie. I thought it was, I don't know, uh, Armando Iannucci? Iannucci? Sure, Iannucci. 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 
The Nooch? Gnocchi? Yeah. <laughs> um, he's just so good at this like satire and writing these like bumbling buffoons of no. characters that like are like just so eager to get power that to their detriment they're going to damn themselves. Yeah. And um I in this setting was just fascinating to me too. Just like uh, I don't know. I, I really like like a period piece in this this time period, and so um, I, I was on board with it. Um, what did you think? I I loved it. Yeah. I I think he's on to something. Oh yeah. I think I know it's satire, mm-hmm. but I really think behind the curtain of politics, I think this is this for sure. He did Veep as well. Yep. I really think and, and in in the in loop, loop. Yep. And I really think politicians just really. And especially modern day, are just bumbling. Oh yeah, uh, they they're tug of war caught between so many different things between uh, lobbyists and voters and uh, other politicians and you know crazy demands and all of this mm-hmm. that there's there's no such thing or it's very rare that there's a politician that actually has their head on straight right and they're just constantly off kilter and and bobbled and this so lends itself to that and it's mm-hmm. just watching people trip over each other <laughs> trying to assert power when the game is too intricate for them to even understand how to play it right you watch something like game of thrones and and i i love game of thrones mm-hmm. but everything is very everybody has a very methodical yeah, plan yeah yeah and then you know whether it works or not really comes down to circumstance and you're you're much more of a gambler and you're making these long plays i don't know if that's modern day any i i really think this is much more i know i think it much happening. more feels like a person sliding towards the edge of a cliff trying yep. to grab yep. just to save their life and like hold yep. on and uh i i totally agree with yep. you i feel like it's especially like i feel like veep did a really good job of painting that picture yep. of showing like actually it's more like this behind the scenes yep. and uh how they talk and stuff and and i just thought it was fascinating like putting that in historical context mm-hmm. that this is not like a modern day times thing. Like this is um, something that has followed through history and that these are like these fools trying to gra- gra- um, grasp power. Yeah. Um, one thing that like made this on a different level for me and I thought was interesting touch was that this deals like with the Communist Party of Russia. Mm-hmm. And just like how much death and everything, people just being offed right and left. If you're a political yeah, yeah. Um, a prisoner or like lots uh, of assassinations, lots of assassinations. Yeah, yeah. And it just put it on like a much more like real, not realistic, but much more perspective mm-hmm. of like the stakes of what they are fighting for and what they are playing with. And, uh, and it made it much darker for me. Yeah. Well, we were talking about contrast before, and it's it makes it much more realistic, but it's also much more absurd. Yeah. And, I mean, it, it very much is today where it's just, you know, oh, somebody's running against me. Let's poison their face. Like, that's literally a thing in Russia. Let's poison yeah, – give yeah. them poison that mm-hmm. makes their face essentially right. decompose until they die. Mm-hmm. And nobody, like, we all know what's happening here, yeah. but I'm going to say, oh, it wasn't us. Right. And everybody will just believe it. And it's such an absurdist reality. And and it's it's playing with that. And it's playing with these very dark things. And you're laughing at the screen 
but then you're realizing that you're laughing at things that are these really high stakes. Well, yeah, that's why I kind of had a turn towards the end of it where like I'm not really laughing anymore. Yeah. It's funny. But at the same time, like there's more people being killed and more like political rivals being off and stuff yeah. that it made it more like what like feel like why are these idiots being able to do this yeah. and um this like the co- like the contrast of this buffoonery and the stakes just it it really lended its, uh, itself to each other and yeah. made it for each aspect of it have more weight and it's it's honestly it's really timely i watched this this week oh, yeah. as and politics aside mm-hmm. as a former president of the united states at his beach resort <laughs> uh had these wildly classified mm-hmm. documents in a closet yeah the fbi had to come and get them because he refused to give them back and an entire political party mm-hmm. lost their minds because the you know the law had to go and get these state secrets these like highly sensitive state secrets exactly to the point where they're saying they want to like let's defund the FBI yeah. which was <laughs> it's <laughs> it's so absurd <sighs> and it's again like not even trying to be political about it it's just watching it and it's like does no one get that we're living in an Armando Iannucci movie mm-hmm. right now it's it's bizarre yeah and it's like the players in it and the people that are most passionate about whatever their side is they can't see how absurd it's gotten mm-hmm. uh there's a guy that lives down the street from us and he's not just got a trump flag out uh he's got a giant f joe biden sign and he's got i mean he's literally got uh, 20 yeah. 30 signs mm-hmm. In his lawn, and it's just like he keeps adding. And at what point do we not get what your political view is? <laughs> we get it. Like, I understand the where one, your stance is. The one kind of clears it up for us. Yeah, and it started with that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even that, it was just kind of like, okay, yeah, you want to hang that on the front of your house? Cool. But it, it, it gets to this point that, like, how absurd... And how do you not realize that you're a part of this circus? Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like this movie and his and really all of his, even Avenue Five, yeah. which you know technically has nothing to do with politics, but, but it, it kind of does, yeah, because it's all about people just bumbling around and trying to one up the next person and get a better position for themselves. Yeah, that's not a, a political party or anything. It's just the head of a of yeah. this giant enormous spaceship which he's steering that that is responsible for this large group of people. So it's a, like yeah. this microcosm of yeah. the political system and uh it's really fascinating how he's tapped into kind of really um making very clear points about all of it. That's where I went watching it this time uh, from laughing to not laughing Mm -hmm. was because I realized how timely it is. And then it started to feel like, is this something that is possible to escape? Or -hmm. especially in our entertainment culture, is this what we're just doomed to? Are we always doomed to, uh, you know, a group of people following a clown uh, because a clown is entertaining and mm-hmm. says things very loudly and very provocatively that at least a portion of people will believe. No right. matter, like Alex Jones, no matter how ridiculous it is, uh, Sandy Hook was was completely staged. These child murders by gunmen is the most absurd nonsense mm-hmm. uh, that you could possibly come up with. 
But how many people just line up for this guy because he's loud and ridiculous? Right. And they believe it. Yeah. Um, it's just that stuff way scarier to me than the black phone <laughs> and oh, yeah, orphan yeah. first kill. For sure. Uh, that's terrifying. I mean, me. I feel like it just is going to be worse because just from our level level of um just like celebrity worship and mm -hmm. things that it's just going to slowly like become work. We can't put somebody in office who doesn't have like a multi-million or dollar movie deal or something, or somebody who is this like internet celebrity. I don't know. There, it's just, I don't know. I don't, I don't see us writing the ship anytime soon. No, no I, man, idiocracy. Or yeah, just... <laughs> I was actually like just watching um, Luke Wilson was on um, Conan's podcast yeah. and they were talking about idiocracy and how they're like both like, I don't find it funny anymore yeah. because it's yeah. just too real. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oof. Yeah, but uh, highly recommend this. Yeah, it's fantastic. I, I recommend all of his stuff oh, deep yeah. in the loop. Uh, in the loop has a very similar feel, but it's it's based in the Pentagon. Uh, but there again, people tripping over each other and bumbling around, and we're talking nuclear codes and and uh, alliances and going to war and all these sorts of things. And so I think you hit it right on the the head where you're talking about uh, just that that difference between stakes and absurdity. Mm -hmm. I think he really knows how to bring that to the forefront. Um, I just, it's, yeah, I feel bad for him because I feel like he used to be able to be funny, but now he's probably realizing <laughs> this is just getting less and less funny because it's, it's now all the things that used to be unsaid are now just said out loud. Well, I think that was a really like, um, thoughtful, interesting, like way to like with him doing Avenue five. Yeah. To go that route where you're not directly looking the beast in the eye, yeah. that you can play with these ideas and show it on this smaller scale and how it's there at every like aspect of life. And um and it makes it a little bit more tolerable, like you can yeah. swallow it down a little easier. And uh yeah, that that mean that I need to rewatch that yeah. show. We live in a world now where literally on Reddit this past season of The Boys, halfway through the season of The Boys, people were shocked to discover that Homelander is a villain. <laughs> really? Yeah. Didn't you read those articles? <laughs> I mean, people, when it suddenly, when people suddenly realized, oh, he's a villain and he's a Trump uh, satire, people lost their minds because the show had betrayed them. Oh and everybody God. else on Reddit was like, this has been there since episode yeah. one. What? Like, you just clicked into this? And yeah, it was a real thing. People were losing their minds. And I I laughed out loud. It was so bizarre to me that just, I mean, from scene one, it's yeah. very clear. Yeah. This guy's the bad guy. Yeah, he's psychotic. How are you thinking that he's a hero in this? So that's where we live in, Clint. Mm -hmm. So uh, <laughs> Orphan First Kill Man, unless you really love the first orphan, uh, I would skip this one. Uh, and uh, then uh, the black phone. I mm -hmm. lost it there. The black phone. I could see people honestly enjoying this one. But uh, I, didn't I think Clint hate and I, it. I, I didn't hate it. But There's after talking yeah. to you, I like it. 
uh, I met it way less than I already met yeah. it, it. My shoulders are really it. shrugged now. <laughs> and then the death of Stalin from 2017, well worth your time. Let's spin up Sinatron and see what it has for us this week. I think I got one for you. Okay. This is one I haven't seen. I don't know if you've seen it, but it's called The Girl with All the Gifts. Yes. Uh, this is actually kind of a, a unique spin on a, a zombie flick. Oh, nice. And it's it's kind of a post-apocalyptic deal, but it it uh, it unfolds and peels back in interesting ways. I You you haven't watched this already? No. It's one that I know is on okay. Netflix for a long time, and I, I would— scroll past it and I'm like that okay. looks fascinating but I just had not got around to it okay yeah no it's it's definitely a, a good one to watch I can't I'd have to watch it again yeah it was one I sort of in my Benjamin movies when early in lockdown in 2020 yeah, yeah. that was one I watched so I'd have to see it again but uh all right cool yeah it's been out since 2016 really is that yeah. old yeah, I thought it was a more of a 2020 kind oh. of thing because of when I, I watched yeah. it. But, um, yeah, it's a British flick from Colm McCarthy. Oh. Uh, I don't know who Colm McCarthy is, and it looks like IMDb doesn't know much about him either. <laughs> he directed a Black Mirror episode. Oh, okay. Um, but otherwise, I guess this is his first and since only feature film. Ken, we we kind of sped through this one. I want to. Can I tag on right now just a little what you watching about something? Sure, because you know what what good is structure? We don't need any organization. <laughs> we just throw everything at the wall, and whenever we get to it, because we don't have a section for this, Clint. No, what you what what you watch in part two? Um, well, maybe we need a different name for this. Like, okay. um, what you forgot you were watching? <laughs> what Clint? I forgot I was watching about. So th- this was more. I want to want. I wanted to ask you: Have you watched the um, first couple episodes of She-Hulk? I have. Yeah, yeah. Uh, two episodes out so far. Yeah, I watched them too. Are you about to tell me you liked something Marvel? <laughs> I am kind of enjoying She-Hulk. Yes, Clint, you're growing as a person. <laughs> Isn't it fun? I wouldn't say I love it. I'm not saying I love it. I'm I, careful now about that. Yeah, but I really enjoy her. Yeah. I think she's doing a great job yeah. as, as yeah. She-Hulk. Um, and uh, I really enjoyed – I actually enjoyed the second episode a lot more than mm-hmm. the first one because the first one's a lot of setup and, you yeah. know, the training montage, which you've seen a thousand times and yeah. a thousand different things. Yeah. So that one was a little boring to me. So I wasn't quite sure. But the second one won me over a little bit more. Yeah. When, it's, when it's getting into the flow of like, okay, she's more lawyer than mm-hmm. Hulk. Uh, I've enjoyed that. Um I've I actually really enjoyed her interaction with um 
uh, what was his name? The uh, the bad, oh, with the abomination, the abomination. Yeah, yeah. His I really, seven soulmates. I really enjoyed that the yeah. whole sequence where he's saying he's a changed man and he's like writing haikus and stuff. Yeah. I thought that was well done. So. Yeah, awesome. Okay, yeah. Uh, yeah I I'm really enjoying it. It's it's pithy and fun, and uh, a lot of people hate this. Yeah, every time it talks about uh, the the female experience. Oh, and <laughs> this really irritates me. It. I, I hate this concept of woke. Yeah. I hate the concept of just because a character in a show says something or feels something or experiences something, it's disqualified because, it, you know, it taps into certain issues or whatever. Uh-huh. It's just like, you know what? Just other people than you can have experiences that are different than you. Right. And just shut up about it. If somebody says they get this or that at work, that sucks. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry to hear that. That's awful. Yeah. Like, it's all you have to say. That's it. You don't well, have to, like, oh, that doesn't happen, and, oh, you're just this, and, like, uh, Well, also, it's – I feel like it's kind of important on this scale in a Marvel thing for yeah. it to be happening because I don't think that's happened before yeah. where you're saying these things yeah. in, like, to that audience of people. Like, yeah. I feel like – Maybe that should happen. I, I just think there needs to be something built into the internet, uh, <laughs> virtually or uh, firmware, hardware. I don't care. Something needs to be built into the internet that is a take a breath button mm-hmm. where you just you have to press it and it measures that you've taken a breath before you type something or before you inject something into the interwebs. It just your every thought does not have value like the send button or submit button doesn't work the first time right like it like like it gives you an error message and it gives you a second to rethink about it just just think about this a second is this what you as a human being on this planet want to put out into the world Mm -hmm. uh you know and they would probably just jam on that send button until it's sent uh but i just i don't understand this portion of our population I just different people have different experiences. Grow up. Right. Grow up. <laughs> I'm sorry. Just grow up. Different people have different experiences. Different people have feel different, different ways. See themselves different ways. A whole lot of subjectivity going on there. And your world is not objective. Right. And what is your experience is not objective. It is subjective. And unless you know the difference between subjective and objective, I just I I oh, I see the world as and people as bubbles. Yeah. So if you're bu- burst, no, okay. not in that way. Okay. But if your bubble doesn't like directly intermingle with my bubble, then like it's all good. You can do whatever you want in that bubble of yours. You can say whatever you want. You can if your bubble doesn't pop my bubble. Right. If what you're saying doesn't try to pop my bubble, yeah. that's cool. But you can. Be who you want in your bubble. Say what you want in your bubble. Whatever. Just don't interfere with my bubble. Even my poor son is being infected by TikTok because he's just like, oh, the MCU. There's just more female heroes than male heroes. What's happening? I'm like, what are you talking about? There is never and there will never be more female heroes than male heroes because that's one of the underlying problems of all of it. Mm -hmm. It's it's like it's always been a male-dominated comic book industry. You cannot ever make the argument to me. That there are more female heroes than male hero characters. It's just that's nonsense. 
And maybe like look at it historically and think maybe if there are, maybe that's a good thing. Yeah. And <laughs> what do you care? It's, right. It's, it's one of those. It's bubbles, man. It's not hurting your bubbles. <laughs> it's bubbles, man. And he's like, phase four is all females. And I'm like, Shang-Chi. Well, that doesn't count. Spider-Man far from home. That doesn't count. And I was like, there are four Spider-Men in that one. There's no variant yeah, Spider-Woman in that. Doctor Strange. It was like, Sh- shut up, Dad. And I'm like, maybe Loki. you should check out what you're starting to get algorithmed on TikTok because it sounds <sighs> like you're listening to some very ranty people that are just not people you need to have in your in your mind right now. Yeah, you need to work on that button. I'm so glad you like she hawk <laughs> I didn't mean this to devolve into a woke rant or an anti-woke rant or whatever. Are we keeping Just, all this in? Heck yeah. Okay. Heck yeah, Clint. If they're we, listening I this feel far. Like this episode might be divisive and lose some people. I and, don't think so. But that's probably so. okay. We've had way more divisive episodes. Well, Thor, Love and Thunder? Come on, man. I'm talking about like these, I got are, emails. these are real world discussions, though. Yeah, I, you know what? Uh, uh, let me let me just say this. Uh, you know, for men or what was the <laughs> what was the one guy? Now I men forgot. for men. Men I think. for men. Let me tell you something. Uh, if if you're just like, oh, here Clinton Ken got all woke. Well, unsubscribe. Thank you for your time. <laughs> just you don't need to be listening to us anyway. There you go. Is that better, Clint? I, I mean, I'm fine with they, if they, just, they disappear. That's fine. No, I just, no. I, I like if you don't like feminist stuff, don't watch feminist stuff. If you don't like that She Hawk is dealing with female issues, maybe don't watch something called She Hawk. Maybe, <laughs> guys. That's all I'm saying. It yeah, just, there's a million other things you can watch. There's so many things to watch right now. Go watch He Hawk. It's fine. <laughs> He-Hawk? He-Hawk. <laughs> it's a wildly popular variety show in the 70s where Lou Ferrigno uh, on a farm. <laughs> I would watch that. I would watch yeah. He-Hawk. <laughs> anyway. They should call him He-Hawk. Yeah. Uh, if you're young and listening to this, there used to be a show called Hee-Haw. It was a variety show on a farm. And, uh, but I think we said he hawk, so now there's a giant bird involved. Yeah. A hawk? A hawk's involved hawk's somehow. But it's on a farm, know. and it's Lou Ferrigno with a hawk on a yeah. farm. Yeah, that's true. All right. Okay. Well, we've offended enough people. This has been episode 60 of Cinebabble. Did that sound like you just queued up a recording? <laughs> <laughs> it did. Yeah, it did. You just instantly just go into instantly it. switched right into that tone. Yeah. This has been Cinebabble episode 60. We hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, and, uh, you know, we're slowly getting towards a hundred. Oh yeah, yeah, we are. We are. Uh, send us some messages. You can find us at www.cinebabble.com. Not about anything we just talked about. <laughs> you can also message us, uh, contact at cinebabblecast.com or, uh, message us on Instagram. Uh, I didn't get to any questions this week. I realize now, even though I had a bunch of them sitting here. Mm. So maybe next time. But yeah, yeah, send us your questions. Always fun. And uh, just keep in mind, I was the one that just ranted about all that. So don't be mad at Clint. Uh, I mean, Thor, I love and thunder crowd. You can be you. mad at me. Send me, your, send me your hate. I agreed with you. Well, but, you know, hesitantly. <laughs> <laughs> I know where you really stand. All right. Have a good one, Clint. See you, Ken. Bye. <laughs>